Bear Essentials podcast gives older bears a place to gather for real talk regarding topics and issues that they can relate to. Here at The Bear Essentials, we aren't just having conversations. We are looking to provide actionable intelligence through real-life experience and expertise of our guests. Our mission is to build a strong community that elevates and motivates people to go beyond their limiting beliefs by helping them realize that getting older is not an excuse to hibernate on their goals, but a reason to work harder. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Charles Wallace. Today's guest made a career in the National Hockey League as an enforcer. And for those of you that aren't familiar with that, his job was to basically go out every game and look for a fight. Today, he joins the show to talk about the damage that did to him, not just physically, but mentally. We talk about his current mindset and how he was able to overcome that damage and is now using that experience to help others. So please, without further ado, Let's jump into my interview with former Philadelphia Flyer, Riley Cote. But first, a word from our sponsor. Looking for a trusted and experienced information security company? Look no further than Wolfinger Consulting. Their team of experts has decades of experience providing reliable and thorough services in cybersecurity, digital forensics, and electronic discovery. At Wolfinger Consulting, they pride themselves on delivering high quality and comprehensive projects that are tailored to meet the unique needs of each client. Whether you're dealing with a hacking issue, a complex business dispute, or a serious criminal investigation, Wolfinger Consulting has the expertise you need to reach a favorable outcome. It's too important to wait. Contact them today at wolfingerforensics.com and let them help you get the results you need. Hey, Riley, how you doing? Thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, doing well. Thanks. Appreciate you having me. No, I'm excited to have you, Riley. I, for Obviously, I'll let you introduce yourself, but for people that don't know, you know, former NHL player for my hometown team, the Philadelphia Flyers, and, you know, watching you through your career, uh, always a fan of that part of you, but maybe even a bigger fan watching and seeing the journey that you uh you you went on and what some of the things we'll talk about today so i'll let you if you could introduce yourself a little bit deeper to the audience please yeah absolutely uh so my name is riley cote originally from winnipeg manitoba i've been living in the u.s for, for 20 years now and uh formerly professional hockey player uh, more specifically a professional hockey fighter and uh, spent most of my my time in the penalty box and uh you know the the hard-fought journey landed up uh, squeezing me out at the age of 28, 2010, I retired and uh, kind of embarked on this quest of holism and healing and, um, you know, big proponent in mindfulness meditation as well as psychedelic integration. So it's kind of been the, you know, the, the crux of the journey and just uh, been been an amazing ride, honestly, been able to kind of deal with my own demons, work through my own shit. And then, you know, I'm in a position now I'm helping others. So just grateful for the the whole ride, the whole experience. Yeah. And I, that's what, that's what really excited me to have you on because I think especially, you know, in general, but I think men more, you know, it's, I think it's harder for them to talk about things sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think having somebody like you who, you know, who, who you were as a player, as a fighter, and that you're coming out now and talking about some of these things, I think it will help others that 
you know, maybe a little more nervous to talk about it. Um, R- Riley, for for the hockey part of your cur- of your career, did you always was was being in the NHL always like the goal for you, or did that just kind of happen as your career progressed? It was always the goal, as long as I can remember. Just being a you know a child growing up in the middle of Canada, playing in the NHL was my dream. We had season tickets to the Winnipeg Jets, seen a lot of hockey. Was exposed to it at a young age, and it was just uh, something that was seemed to be ingrained in my DNA. I just loved playing hockey, street hockey, pond hockey. Um, so you always had these grand visions of playing in the NHL and scoring 50, 60 goals. <laughs> you know, obviously, the university's got a little different path for you generally. But yeah, as long as I can remember, it was, it was well, at the time, thinking it was my purpose, it was my dream. Um, you know, it was, so it was something I worked, worked towards and felt like I was unstoppable. I was going to find my way there some way, in some way, shape or form. And you know, you know, to say, unfortunately, fortunately, I landed up, you know, doing it the old fashioned way and realizing that I had to do something a little bit different than I, you know, had envisioned. I wasn't uh, drafted, uh, looking at the guys getting called up, a lot of goals, lots of penalty minutes. So I, you know, chose the, the, the toughest path, I think. And, uh, you know, again, it was, uh, it was, it was intentional. It was, it was for me to give myself the best chance to live out my childhood dream and, you know, obviously it wasn't, uh, you know, the, the safest uh, play, but nonetheless, um, it was it was the play I chose. And, um, um, you know, it worked itself out. So I'm happy, happy for it all. So, Riley, as you're as you're playing, though, I can only imagine as as you're younger. Right. And you have this dream. M- my guess is that it, there's a point during that when you're younger, probably you are at least as good or better than a lot of other guys when does it kind of click to you that you know what as i go up in levels i may have to go down this other path maybe not the path you envisioned but it's the path i'm going to have to do yeah so i had my first real wake-up call at the age of 16 when i moved away from home and played the western hockey league the major junior in canada and uh, i was drafted as a 16 year old in the second round still in my mind thinking i'm some skilled hockey player you know, again, I was a big fish in a small pond growing up in Winnipeg. My age group, I was one of the better kids. And then I was quickly humbled uh, when I, you know, moved away from home and now playing against 16 to 20 year olds uh, from all Western Canada. You know, guys are bigger and stronger, you know, grown men, really, um, and uh, and highly skilled hockey players. So um, it was there that I had my first taste of like, holy, like, you know, I, I better get my shit together and better get better quickly. Um, but I was also exposed to fighting for the first time, you know, in the junior levels, um, in the Western hockey league and realized that there was actually different roles in understanding that, um, you know, my first year at 16 years old, I would never consider myself an enforcer by any means, but I had gotten into, you know, 10 or 11 fights that year, which was the most of my, my complete junior hockey career. Um, fighting out of desperation, fighting out of uh, necessity to kind of earn my stripes, um, but not identifying with it with a, as a fighter. You know, I wasn't like that, wasn't accepting of that role yet. Um, you know, the next year I'd take on a bigger role in the, in the year three and four, more, you know, offensive roles, uh, power play time, the whole bit. Uh, never, never in those four years that I accept the role of the fighter. You know, I've been, in, you know, each year, probably four or five fights um just spontaneous fights sticking up for my teammates 
but not have embraced the, the fighter role. So, um, you know, it's probably my demise in a sense of not being drafted. I didn't really establish myself in any which way. I was kind of just a vanilla player, you know, power forward, decent numbers, but not great numbers. You know, wasn't uh, a force on the ice as far as an established fighter, like I mentioned. So that was really the, the catalyst of all these things kind of coming together that I, you know, decided to take on this role, turning pro at 20, um, being the enforcer, like going into training camps as the fighter, as a tough guy, and just like really focusing on that and being, being very precise on my, my, you know, focused intention of what I was trying to do and how I was trying to be perceived. Um, you know, so that, that's kind of when I chose to do that and accepted that role was when I turned pro at 20. Going to Toronto Maple Leafs training camp is, was really the start of that uh, new identity as a hockey player. So, Riley, as you as you now are pro, what's that moment now as you kind of in your mind, you know, this is the role. I'm going to be the fighter now. What's that moment as a pro where not just your mind, you are the fighter now, but you start to get recognized as the fighter amongst your teammates, amongst your coaches? And when's that happen? And, and do you remember specifically who maybe that happened against? Yeah, what well, happened the off season before I uh, went to Toronto Maple Leafs training camp, and um, I could have gone back to junior for one more year, called it overage year, or I could have transitioned and turned pro. You know, obviously there was a lot of variables uh, up for grabs there, as if, if if any team wanted to sign me first of all, and then you know how that shook out was kind of to be determined. But that off season. I trained or in my mind, I thought I was training <laughs> to be a, a fighter, you know, I was lifting a lot of weights, you know, I kind of hit the bullseye on the wrong, you know, on the wrong target as far as like, you know, being a functional fighter. But, you know, my mindset was there. It was like, I'm going into camp and I'm fighting the biggest guy and the guy with the most penalty minutes, you know, I'm, I'm going as the fighter, you know, I was a competitive guy. I was, t you know, accepting of the challenge again, those fights that I was talking about in junior hockey, I did pretty well. Um, and so I knew in my mind, like I could do this. Um, didn't know how I was going to do it besides just showing up and, and learning, you know, the old fashioned way, get my ass beat a few times. But, you know, I went to Toronto Maple Leafs training camp with this attitude, this chip on my shoulder, my first shift in training camp in the, in the, in the blue and white scrimmage, I jumped over the boards and had a perfectly lined hit, uh, against Travis green, who I ran over and folded in half. And then next thing you know, Darcy Tucker is challenging me you know, acting all cocky, slicking his hair back, and I line up two-punching him. And, you know, Darcy Tucker is a tough guy, but, like, he's a small – he's not that big of a guy. And and realistically, I'm not that big of a guy either, but, like, my attitude was was bigger than, like, a, you know, a featherweight or a lightweight. Like, I was going in there to be heavyweight, you know, undersized heavyweight. So, you know, it was a win. It got some energy out of it. But, like, you, you know, there was still much bigger guys to tackle. But, you know, that was kind of the uh, – the uh the beginning of you know me establishing myself as that presence so i landed up signing with the st john's maple leafs and spent uh you know 90 percent of that year in the central hockey league where there was no shortage of experience down there you got all these meatheads all these juice monkeys you know ripping around wanting to fight so there was no shortage of fights down there i think i fought like 35 times that year again going after the biggest guy and the, and the guys with the most penalty minutes uh, you know, learning the hard way, you know, again, I hadn't had any formal fight training. It was like, like learning in combat, learning in the moment, uh, you know, lifting a lot of weights again, just kind of more of this meathead mentality versus more of this martial artist mentality, you know? So 
Um, but that being said, you know, it, it served its purpose. You get noticed, right? You know, you, you get you get some street credibility. Um, people know who you are, you know, as far as like, you know, you know kind of you know, tiptoeing around, you know, sometimes because they don't know what to expect and a little bit unpredictable. Um, and then, you know, that I established myself that year, you know, as like that was, you know, who I was and who I was, um, you know, becoming as far as that role. And that was what scouts and, and organizations expected out of me. That was, you know, moving forward when they reached out to to show interest in signing contracts. It was it was, you know, Riley as the enforcer. It wasn't like Riley as, you know, the third line grinder, you know, that's, you know, you know, penalty killer or whatever else like that there was that was 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 expected and that was you know what I was bringing that was what I was focusing on I almost forgot to play hockey you know it was so so embodied in in, in the uh, the role you know it just consumes you it's like you know it's hard to explain you know it's fight or flight and you're kind of in this chronic state of anxiety where all you're focused on is fighting that'll be my one regret it's like look, maybe looking back and saying maybe I should have focused on hockey a little bit more but um that being said I was a gamer and organizations I played and knew exactly what they were getting out of me. You know, they knew exactly my energy, my, my attitude, my mindset uh, going out there that I wasn't going to be screwed with. My teammate wasn't going to be screwed with without me stepping in there. So, um, you know, naturally you kind of create, uh, you know, uh, a niche, if you will. Um, and, you know, again, predictability, you know, coaches and organizations want consistency. They want to know exactly what they're going to get out of their players. And, you know, um, they just knew with me that that's what they were going to get, you know. So I learned the hard way, worked my way up from Central Hockey League, East Coast Hockey League, through the American Hockey League, and eventually found my way, just just grinding it out. And eventually, you know, got into more formal fight training, which was, was super helpful because you're fighting, you know, bigger, stronger guys at every level you move up. Um, but, you know, just kind of starting from the most raw foundational you know point of just <laughs> just getting your hands dirty get punched in the face and learning what works what doesn't work um and you're getting the experience you, you just know all the way to get experience and by actually doing it so that's kind of how i did it you touched on something there that i definitely want to get into a great segue by you was that um i under look i'm i'm, I'm i just i'm 51 now so i think the way I look at this now is a lot different than probably the way I would have looked at this 10 years ago if I spoke to you. Right. And one of the things in my mind that I wanted to talk to you and ask you about was that part you, you mentioned a little bit was that anxiety. And how did that play on your mind of always knowing that your job basically was I'm going out there every night and I'm looking for a fight. How does that like weigh on you on and off the ice? Yeah, it's a great question. And this is, and this is kind of like the centerpiece of of my demise, right? It's like this chronic state of anxiety. The first couple of years, maybe two, three years, even up until I probably made the NHL, I was accepting of it because it was like part of like it was part of the mission to live out my childhood dream. I was accepting of it. However, it, it was emotionally and spiritually taxing, as you can imagine. It's like it's not a it's not a normal mindset to be in, you know, and having been around the, the veteran community and have, have a lot of friends that have served. Um, the, the closest thing I can describe it to is be something that they've experienced where it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're essentially going to war, you know, in my version of that, you know, in my you know small little world and, you know, obviously not as crazy of a bubble, but nonetheless, um, 
the, the risk is still there. You know, you could get your face pounded in any night. You could break your face, concussion. You know, there's a, there's a lot of risk there. And you're fighting guys, you know, that are they're, they're, they're big, big humans that can pack a punch. So um, constantly having on that on your mind, you never fully settle. Your nervous system you never fully calms and you're never able to fully settle in and find peace, right? Because you're always worrying about the next fight always looking over your shoulder and seeing who's coming you know again like it's 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 a, it's a little bit of a cutthroat business too in a hockey you don't know when the fight's going to start you know boxing ufc you know the bell rings nine you know 9 p.m the, the, the cage closes you know you, you the fight begins you know in a hockey game the puck drops like you could mentally prepare to fight for a shift but it doesn't always work out that way um so there's always you know even if the fight happened for a shift i'll be worrying about the next fight looking over my shoulder so I always say like the, the hardest part about the job was the emotional toll it took. The physical part was almost easy because once you're engaged in the fight, you're just like, it's just you and the other guy. Um, not a whole lot of thinking. You're just, you're in it. You know, you get punched in the face. You really don't feel it until the next morning when everything kind of settles. So, but the emotion, the emotional piece there was the hardest part. I think that's, you know, looking back, that was kind of the, the piece that, I couldn't skirt tail, you know, there's no way of escaping that. And you had to deal with it. You had to, you had to face it every single day, even games I prepared to fight. I didn't fight. There was that, that dark cloud of anxiety of like, you know, this is what you need to do. This is how you're going to do it. You know, all these mind games. Um, so, um, you know, that was, that was it. I look back and try to make connections of some of my behavioral patterns, substance abuse issues and stuff. You know, it, it's it self-medicating. It was, it was trying to, it was trying to push away the anxiety. It was trying to hide from it. It was making it go away for a little bit, so I didn't have to feel it. Um, you know, and obviously, like the way I was living, on and off the ice wasn't sustainable. It's like the physical body's going to give, the mind's going to give, um, because it's not, because it's not in alignment. You know, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a normal mindset to be in. You know, long periods of time. You know, season after season after season, and I give. You know, a ton of credit to the guys that did it a lot longer than I did. And I don't know how they did it, you know, and, and how they were able to even preserve their mental health a little bit. Um, but how, but saying that, I've seen a lot of guys struggle, a lot of mental health issues and substance abuse issues. And you can't fully tie it back to the role of the enforcer because I've seen a lot of skill guys, you know, dealing with the same stuff. But, you know, it's a role within a, within, it's a, role within a role, it's, you know, game within a game. And um, it's a very unique um interesting job that you are the called upon you know enforcer protector whatever word you want to throw on it and you're expected to do that so even on days you know guys in you know in the real world take days off like mentally it's like oh, i'm just gonna check out today you can't check out because you know it's like you can get your ass beat first of all but you're gonna let your whole teammate your whole team and teammates down and um you know, there just there, there was no room for that. So you, you had to at least pretend you were on, or you had to again playing the role. The nights that I really didn't want to engage, like I'm still playing the role, still puffing my chest out and flexing, um, knowing that I still potentially could get in a fight, but deep down knowing that I really didn't want to fight. Um, so yeah, to answer your question in a nutshell, it's just like it, it wore on me. It wore on me to the point where that was kind of like the exact thing that you know pushed me out of the game. I just couldn't live like that any longer. Hi, everyone. As some of you may or may not know, NGBN is a network that is made up of many, many amazing creators and hosts who have some incredible shows. I'd like to introduce you to one of them right now. My friend, Chris Rubio, 
Chris, how's it going? Charles Wallace, what is up, my man? Chris, could you tell my audience a little bit about your show, The Rubio Method? The Rubio Method is a funny and lighthearted show where it's just me interviewing some guys. We're having a good time, just trying to see what it's like to be a 40s, 50s, even 60-year-old man just trying to survive in life and have a good time while doing it. Thanks. Appreciate you stopping by, Chris. And to my audience, please do yourself a favor and be sure to check out The Rubio Method on NGBN.TV. Yeah, you mentioned something there too that I wanted to ask you a little bit was I can, I, I remember from when you would play with the Flyers and I remember I was, one of the games I was at, it was, and in, looking back now, interesting and hearing you talk about like the dynamic, when you, when you would come on the ice, you could almost feel the buzz of anticipation in the building that a fight was going to happen potentially, you know? Um, I think as fans, at least in our minds, I don't really think the result mattered as much, but I wanted to ask you, you mentioned about letting your teammates down. I mean, let's be honest, right? As, as men, we, we know if we won or lost, at least we think we know if we won or lost. How did that feel for you? If you kind of felt you may have, you may have lost the fight did. And could you tell visibly if that actually brought the team down, the energy down? You know what? Uh I don't think so. They always say like, you know, 90% of it is just showing up. Right. And, um, you know, cause it takes a lot of balls to, you know, to, to, to fight, you know, it doesn't matter who you're fighting, especially when you're fighting like the toughest guys in the league. So, you know, personally, yeah. I mean, there's an ego blow to, to, to losing, you know, you know exactly what you said. Like, you know, when you lost the fight, I think earlier in my, in my career, I wasn't phased by it. You know, it was just like, get up and go after the guy again. Like, I don't care. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you knock me down and get back up. Like there was, a, you know, obviously a pride associated with it. I think what happened for me is like, you know, I, I finally make myself, you know, an established NHL player and fighter, you know, after that first year, you know, I fought all the tough guys and, you know, I did pretty well. You know, I definitely had some losses, but I, you know, did pretty damn well against guys way out of my weight class, fighting guys I shouldn't be fighting in the first place and got some legitimate street cred, um, you know, in the hockey world fighting. And then it was season two, you know, it's like, okay, we've got to do this all over again, right? And then, you know, I think season two, um, you know, it was, still, it was still pretty good, but I could see myself like being more affected by it, by the, by say the little losses in a sense where, you know, I dwelled on them a little bit more, you know, the shelf life of me thinking about them was a little bit longer, um, which is not a good, you know, just not a good thing when you're, you got to put a period on it and move on to the next one. Cause it's not like boxing UFC, you have three months in between your fights. You know what I mean? Like you literally, you literally could be fighting two, three times a game. So you really have to have a short memory with that stuff. Um, but I think it was like, again, it's like an ego thing. I think maybe it's like my third year, when I started, uh, really started to kind of dwell on my, you know, losses and being like, am I, am I like letting my team down? Am I like not being as good as I could be? I never thought that before. I never like, you know, lost the fight. You still get, you know, butt tapped, you know, pat, pat on the on the shin pads, like, you know, way to show up and fight the biggest guy in the league. You know, it's like, so what? You got your ass beat. You showed up and you mm-hmm. took it like a man, you know? So, um, but then I think, again, it was like part of like, why am I still doing this? Why am I still doing this? Like, what, can I like take a breath here and, and not have to fight every night? So I was, I was kind of like in this battle of like still feeling the need to, you know, generate street credit by you know, not turning down fights and still being that relentless, fearless guy that everyone expected. But then also like 
but also, you know, but also feel like I've done enough, like where I can actually, you know, avoid some of these fights and, and, and play a little hockey. And I always got stuck in this thing, but I always felt drawn back to the fight because that's what everyone expected out of me to the point where, again, like timely fights where I should have turned them down, not turning them down and fighting and then and maybe losing them and then being like, well, why did I even fight in the first place? And then I got my ass beat. It's almost like karma, you know, flexing itself. Um, you know, there's this battle of this ego and like alignment thing, you know, and then and then Brad, Brad, Donald Brashear, who you would you know, um, you know, I had some really good fights with him. Actually, my, one of my first fights in preseason in my first year, I ended up doing really well with him, caught him, had a, a pretty good fight against, you know, arguably the top two toughest guys in the league. But he beat my ass in Philly one night pretty good. Um, try, well, fought, fought him again the second time in the game. He, in the first fight, he ended up cracking my sinus. Um, and got, gave it to me pretty good. Second fight was a little bit of a draw. We kind of rolled over, but it was after that fight where I was like, "Holy shit, man!" Like, you know, I'm really questioning what I'm doing. Like, you know, I, I just I didn't I didn't recover like I did as a young guy trying to work my way up in the league. It was almost like kind of dwelling on these emotions that I've been having around like, what the hell am I even doing here? Like, you know, it's like proving myself. I could play in the NHL. I've you know found my way like the hardest possible road you could ever go down. Um, but then I'm just like finding myself in these same situations and I'm letting myself down. If I'm letting myself down, like I've got to be letting my teammate down. Then you're telling yourself all these stories. So I don't think ever, you know, do you, do you ever let the team lets you down when you actually show up? I don't think they ever like, oh, like, Riley, like, you know, it's like you let me down because you're, you're doing something they wouldn't do anyways, you know. And uh, but like I think when you start second guessing yourself as a fighter and having doubt, um, you know, it's not, it's, it's not a good position to be in. So I, I think that was probably my demise too, you know, but, but I think it was, it was part, it was part of the process. It was kind of deconstructing this, this false identity, this ego, this, you know, this, this person that wasn't really me. Um, and, and then accepting that, like, you know, it's okay to actually want to get out of this, you know, and, and, be, and try and find some version of alignment, right? Uh, because it's not normal. I knew it wasn't going to last forever. I don't know how long I could carry on this this act or this role. Um, but, you know, the universe has an interesting way of kind of pushing you where, where you need to be. You know, anxiety and all these, you know, pressures and stressors generally push you, you know, they push you in or they push you out, you know. And, um, you know, I, I was starting to listen to my body. I was starting to listen to the voices um, you know, the, you know, the, the, I guess the spirit within that was, you know, basically telling me to like, you know, like you, you need to, you need to reflect on what you're doing and you need to be honest with yourself because what you're doing isn't sustainable and your mindset now isn't the way it was before, you know, now it's like, you know, you're going into a fight, you know, worrying about losing, like that's the worst, you know, mindset you could have going to a fight. That's why all boxers, all UFC fighters, if you talk to them before they fight, they're winning the fight every time, you know, there's no doubt even if they lose, you know, there's no doubt going into it. So once you have doubt and you have like these questions, um, you know, it's kind of, I would say it's almost over for you. And I recognize that I was honest with myself and then I had to do some, you know, you know, real, real kind of, um, you know, looking inwards and just digging deep within and, and, and kind of figuring out uh, what this looks moving forward. So. Yeah. You know, Riley, I want to say this to you though. I think honestly, I, and again, me being older than you, I, I'd say to you this, I, I think your journey and how you come about, especially what you're doing now, I really think it took a lot of maturity because I think you were very, for me, 
it was really young that you, as you talk about these thoughts, I don't know a lot of guys at that age, man, that are able to kind of think through it in the mature way that you did. At least in that, you know, when I was reading about you and reading some of the things, I just, I was like, you know what? I don't know. I, I think this guy should get a hell of a lot of credit because I, I don't know a lot of guys in their mid to late twenties that are kind of able to maybe accept their own truth mm-hmm. and, and move on. So I, I wanted to give you a lot of credit for that. Um, so when do you finally realize though, and as I want to move into what you're kind of doing now, when do you realize that not just that some of the thoughts, right? When do you realize even physically, mentally, like how you're like, you know what? this had a really negative impact on me and, and I, I need to do something about it. Yeah. What was my last, it was my last year, 2009, 2010. Um, John Stevens was the head coach um, at the time. And he was my number one fan between him and Paul Holmgren, my number one fans had Johnny in the minor leagues. He, he loved what I brought, um, but he could see, you know, the, you know, the performance drop, you know, he could see there was something going on. I, I wasn't playing a whole lot. He lands up getting fired. Peter Laviolette comes in. He has no use for me, right? And uh, he won a Stanley Cup in Carolina with no tough guy. So it was like, you know, you're going to be that 13th forward. And I'm going to be honest with you, you're going to work your ass off and you're going to you know, keep being a team guy like you are. And I was accepting of it. You know, I could see the writing on the wall where it was going. I only dressed, uh, I think, 15 games that year. Um, and I dressed every warm-up. The whole season, all playoffs, all the way through the finals against Chicago, dressed every warm up as team guy. I was actually put on waivers one time that year, um, and but it's never sent down. It was all because you know I just kept a good attitude and kept working hard. But that whole year, there was a lot of soul searching. There was a lot of questions. There was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of uh, trying to figure this shit out. I leaned. I actually leaned up pretty good that year. I lost like. Like 12 pounds to the point where like they're like are you able to even fight heavyweights anymore you know because i was like well lavi is all about you know we're going to be lean hockey players right and it's like i'm like looking at myself i'm like fat you know being this elite athlete you know packing all weight to be you know a tough guy and you know, a lot of self-reflection like a lot of just like what the hell is going on and, and riding it out I'm still grateful i'm in the nhl making you know more money than i ever made but also I don't feel fulfilled. There's no spiritual fulfillment in what I'm doing. So that whole year was a, was a major teaching lesson for me. You know, it was, it was really kind of focusing on my thoughts, right? I'm like, what am I thinking? What am I projecting? And, and what am I creating for my future? So there was a lot of like, you know, I really don't think I'm going to be doing this much longer, putting it out to the ether, the universe, whatever you want to call it. A lot of asking for help, you know, you can call it the great spirit, God, you know, it's like just kind of like, you know, asking for some sort of sign, like, you know, some sort of, um, yeah, just, just, just something to kind of hang my hat on. Um, but again, the whole season, great attitude and hardest, you know, hardest worker I could be. We lose to Chicago. Um, I had another year of my contract, one way contract with the Flyers. Um, have two surgeries at the end of the year part of like this 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 past season was like listening to my listening to intuition right it was like tapping into what i thought was truthful and you know i uh, had a relationship with cannabis um and i actually used cannabis the last two surgeries because i was again dealing with some substance abuse issues um alcohol and pills mainly as being the ones that were really affecting my my, my thinking and my spirit so i told myself i could use cannabis as a pain management uh, tool versus an opioid 
which was highly successful and I proved to myself, holy shit, like, you know, like there's some power here because you actually listened to what, you know, your experience was with these plants and you applied it to medicine um, without really even knowing like any of the, the, the science to support it besides just some surface level stuff that I'd read. Um, you know, gave me the contact, you know, the, the, you know, some power in like dealing with some of the issues I was dealing with. I actually stopped drinking, but what happened, the biggest piece would happen was like my year end meetings with Paul Holmgren were like, listen, like, I don't feel great, you know, physically, mentally, you know, some concussion related issues, substance abuse issues. There's all this stuff, stress, pressure, you know, all these stories that I was telling myself. But at least I laid out my heart to him and put it out there and like let him know how I was feeling. I go back home in the off season and two weeks later, I get a phone call from Paul Holmgren and says, listen, there's a job opening um, with the Phantoms. Uh, you know, one of the assistant coaches is not, is not coming back this year. And uh, I thought of you, you know, knowing how you're feeling. Uh, we could, you know, we can transition that last year of your contract into a coaching deal um, and, you know, work and then just kind of, you know, you retire, get your salary off the cap and, like immediately in that moment, I was like, this is it. You know, like, I am totally, totally good with what you're proposing here. I, I told him I'd sleep on it and let him know the next day. But in that in that moment, I knew that was it. It was a it was an opportunity to transition, stay in the game, but also to be on the other side of the fence where I'm no longer waking up every morning preparing to fight. You know, it was like a completely different, completely different mindset. Yeah, I realized that was also forfeiting my ability to be a professional athlete and pursuing that, you know, wherever that could land up. But in my heart, I knew that was the move. It was, it was a way of, of transitioning with some sort of, you know, you know, cushion, I guess you could say, but, but like, not really. It was like, it was a, it was for me to escape the daily grind of, uh, of preparing to fight. And uh, it was immediate as an immediate weight off my shoulders. It was like, I could breathe. I could kind of just like almost, relax a little bit knowing that I wasn't you know preparing to fight anymore so it was it was wild how it worked how it worked out um but but like you know my childhood dream was to play in the NHL and in that moment one you know one conversation it's like accepting and letting go of everything I had worked for since I was four years old you know what I mean it's like and accepting that like, this is what I needed to do not because I was like oh yeah I'm gonna be an assistant coach in the minor leagues and like that was like a passion of mine it was like no it was like you're just gonna, you're, you you have you have an opportunity to kind of exit stage left exit stage left bow out of the game with honor you know the flyers are loyal to me I'm being loyal to them you know I'm, I'm getting my salary off the cap you know they can find a, a much better player than myself my mind wasn't in it um, but also the biggest piece was like I get an opportunity to now heal and find myself and, and like embark on this quest that wasn't misaligned and now I could actually find alignment you know and that's you know that's it was the best thing I ever did you know for mental emotional and spiritual health because um you know from the outside in you're like you're living you know you're living the life and you're you're you're, you're living you know your childhood dream but when there's no fulfillment there and again I wasn't a 50 goal scorer making 10 million dollars a year you know like yes I was making more money than I ever made but like there's, there's always like the trade-off of like, is it worth it? Is, you know, is it worth it at the end of the day? And, um, you know, I see so many guys go by the wayside and darkness you know, through substance abuse and mental health issues, suicide, you know, how many guys is the game taken out? Um, you know, alcohol taken out, pills taken out. I don't want to be that guy. You know, I was just like, I didn't want to be another stat and I wanted to not just heal, but I, you know, I just felt 
that I could you know, rise above and, you know, hopefully be a, an impact in the world of mental health, uh, spiritual health, mindfulness and the whole bit. So it was a progression and it's a never ending journey, right? We're always, we're always working on ourselves and improving ourselves. But, um, you know, some of the things early on in my retirement were, were foundational for, for where I am today and, and, and will always be part of, you know, the formula. So uh, I'm just beyond grateful that it played out the way it has and, you know, that I, you know, took that leap of faith too, right? I mean, a lot of people 28 years old wouldn't give up, a, you know, $600,000 salary um, to, to coach in Adirondack, New York, you know, it was, it's not exactly part of like most people's, uh, you know, visions, but um, I knew from in my heart and my soul that I needed to do it to kind of escape the party, escape the, you know, the limelight, escape all these like egocentric things that played into being, you know, the man, right? You're the fighter, you're the guy. And uh, geez, I was just like, you know, it was just too much pressure, too much stress that I didn't really want anymore. It wasn't alignment. It wasn't, it wasn't nurturing the spirit within. So um, yeah, just uh, a lot of lessons in a short amount of time, you know, and I'm just grateful for them all because they just, they're, they're foundational to who I've kind of become and, 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 been, and, and just helped me allow to let go of who I thought I was, right? There's a huge letting go of this false identity that you create for yourself. Not just a hockey player, but a hockey fighter is like even more specific, right? I mean, I grew up a, a hockey player known as the hockey player. Still known as that, I guess, but like it was, you know, my pro career, you know, playing in the NHL wasn't just a hockey player, you know, it was a hockey fighter. So letting go of that real, you know, egocentric masculine identity and, not just like letting it go is like embracing, you know, the feminine as well. Like understanding that we, 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 we all have both, both of these energies within us. Right. We, we you mentioned it. I think it start is like, is like this, like this ultra, you know, masculine, you know, type of role macho, you know, men have a hard time, you know, talking about their feelings and, and, and being vulnerable, like, you know, and learning that that's okay. And speaking about emotions, is okay and in fact it's necessary expressing emotions is what the body needs to do otherwise we're just compounding stress trauma uh you know and all these you know these things on top of each other you know the emotions just keep building and then we become more rigid more stressed more depressed um so it's necessary you know speaking about this is, is a form of expression right singing movement you know dance like yeah all these things are forms of expression but speaking certainly is one and talking things through and being vulnerable and crying. It's, it's allowed. It's like, it's necessary. Right. I mean, it's, but we've been trained. It's programming. It's not just in hockey culture. It's just, it's just you know, traditional Western industrialized, colonialized culture. Right. It's just like tough it out, you know, tough it out and bury it, bury those emotions, bury those traumas. Well, you know, they don't need to be talked about, but, I think things are transitioning, you know, the, the world's more accepting of this. You've seen ath professional athletes, Olympic athletes, you know, pulling off world stages because of their mental health. You know, people are being more vulnerable, putting themselves in substance abuse programs and talking about it and, you know, trying to share with their networks to help uh, hopefully people in their community that are struggling with a similar thing. So it's, uh, you know, things are moving, you know, things are Think about like, you know, traditional Broad Street bullies, you know, 74, 75, like drinking beer, winning Stanley Cups, not even training to be hockey players. Then you go through this evolution of physical training, sports specific training. You know, we've, we've mastered training the physical body. 
but now it's, 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 it's up here. It's like, we've never, you know, we've never really fully trained the mind. And now it's like, you know, there's a whole movement around mindfulness and meditation and breath, you know, super fundamental, just being human. But then you talk about performance, like there's this whole world of, of mindfulness now being incorporated into the corporate sports organizations, as well as corporate you know, business structures of like mental health is everything. If you don't have that, doesn't matter how good of a performer you are, if you can't perform because you're mentally unwell. So, I mean, now I'm just <clears throat> excited that, well, unfortunately there's a huge market for this uh, because we're, we're mentally unwell. Like the, you know, to me, the mental health crisis is beyond mental wellness. It's, it's, it's like emotional and spiritual wellness right i mean it's it's really getting in tune with our emotions and our, our spiritual body so um you know we're, we're in a crisis and uh i'm just gonna feel like i'm in a great position to, to lend a voice and help where i can and impact you know different pockets of my network and communities that i can and you know share my story and be vulnerable and you know and uh, hopefully it could be an impact for for people and their struggles yeah, Riley, I mean, I, I would dare to say this to you, man. I think that what you're embarking on and doing now, I mean, you know, obviously being a hockey fighter and getting to touch people with your fists, I think you're going to be touching way more people with your message than you ever got to touch as a player with your fist. Because, I mean, and again, I I mean this as a compliment, but like just just looking at who you are and who you were, I think right there, that's a huge impact on people because when people, men especially, see someone like you who doesn't fit that typical mold of a somebody who's willing to share their emotions and things like that, I think that's a big, a big deal. Um, so I want to end with this. I want to just give you a couple minutes to talk about you have a lot of like cool stuff going on now as far as as far as that journey and what you're doing. And I wanted to give you a little bit of a chance to talk about it. Yeah, thanks. I, mean, I got a few different projects going on and they're all some bit in alignment and they're all around, you know, physical, mental and spiritual wellness. So um, I teach yoga, meditation and breath work. And that would be kind of like the integration piece to whatever other facet that I'm involved in, whether it's cannabis related activity, um, you know, cannabinoid related activity um, as, you know, as a, an anxiety tool or pain management tool, sleep tool. But then in the world of like mental health and you know, behavioral health in, in the psychedelic space, um, you know, I do a lot of work in Jamaica with uh, legal psilocybin mushrooms, but a big part of, you know, my, my job is the integration piece. So it is in integrating the yoga you know, mindful movement, um, meditation, quieting the mind and, um, and breath, you know, just connecting, connecting to breath, the spirit, um, and uh, is, is a huge, is a huge piece of it because, you know, we, we, we outsource everything, right? I think it's really my teaching is that, and it's not, you know, my teaching, it's, 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 it's fundamental to, you know, the teachers way before me and the sages and the gurus. It's, it's like, we're, we are the medicine, right? We, we got, we're, we got to teach people to lean on their own spine and not, Feel like they need to outsource everything so it's, it's again it's looking um, within and, and, and teaching that we have a lot more power than we think we have you know beginning with thought you know tapping into breath and quieting the mind and and how these equate to performance um, and, and, a, and a better life so um again my, my personal my personal role in all this is is being a vehicle that represents the mindfulness and meditation but it certainly intersects uh, with my work in cannabis and with my work with psychedelics, um, you know, 
in my work with youth sports, you know, outside of the, you know, the plant medicines, because it's the messages lands up being the same. It's like, we have the power, we all have these powers within and let, let's, let, let, let's start unlocking them, you know, and it's a practice, right? We're, we're teaching a practice because it's not like something wake up one day and be like, oh, you know, I'm enlightened or, you know, I, you know, I'm fully meditated, you know, it's a, it's, it's a practice. Like the physical practice is, is a practice, but also sitting in meditation is a practice and doing these things on a daily basis. And then it's like bringing awareness to all behaviors in your life. It's like, oh, why am I reaching for that bag of chips? Oh, maybe, maybe it's stress eating, you know, maybe, you know, so then all of a sudden there's awareness around that. You could bring awareness to why, oh, I'm reaching for my phone again. Am I doing business or am I just, you know, grabbing because it's like a comfortable thing to do because my mind needs a distraction, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like everything becomes mindfulness. And I think that's like where the core of where I am with all this, uh, where I speak to a a school and going back home actually in two weeks and speaking to my old high school. I've been back there in 20 years and I'm talking, you know, bringing me in to talk about mindfulness and wellness. Um, you know, obviously not gonna be talking about psychedelics or cannabis, but like, but, it, but at the core of it is all the same. And it's like, so no matter where I go, that is the vehicle. It's, you know, I know yoga, the word yoga gets a little bit misunderstood and misinterpreted, but I'm teaching yoga and yoga is beyond the poses. It's, it is it's pre- preparing the body for meditation. And we are a mental health crisis. It's all about controlling our thoughts. So psychedelics, you know, have an amazing impact on the brain, not just like the, the biology of the brain, but how the brain operates. You know, we hear about the present moment a lot, right? Oh, the present moment. Well, that, that's where flow state exists, right? That's where when you're an athlete, I didn't even recognize it when I was a professional athlete. Well, I was in flow state when I was actually playing hockey or fighting. I wasn't thinking. I was just doing, you know, and, and I think we get into the thinking mind, um, way too much and then we we don't live through the heart and that and that and, you know that flow state uh where, where life exists it's not in the past it's not in the future it's kind of right here and yoga is teaching that but meditation mindfulness helps us bring us back to that point of power is that moment so that's you know that that's my message and that's what, what i'm you know teaching and um, again I'm doing a lot of work in different facets but i am representing the the spiritual nature emotional nature of uh, of what a lot of these tools are trying to represent and um, because you have to be doing the work you can't you can't rely on plants or medicine or all these things to do the work for you you know it's a, but it begins with the thinking and once you realize we have the power i think it's like it's limitless right um, but i think a lot of people get stuck and i think that's the part of my teaching too is that you know once you start taking a couple of deep breaths and connecting you know grounding and centering it's like there's a little more space there you don't have to be so rigid um, so yeah, yoga, plant medicine, still do some stuff in hockey. Um, but, you know, even even that, I'm bringing the mindfulness into the hockey stuff. You know, it's like, I don't want to go and just teach hockey. It's like, there's enough hockey coaches out there. I want to come in and bring mindfulness into hockey, you know? They're looking after the youth. It's like, the youth need this more than ever. It's like, you know, it's, it's uh, well, everybody needs it. But, um, you know, the yoga, the mindfulness is, is the spine of it all, teaching the power of them. Yeah, well, I'm excited for you, Riley, because I think what you're doing is it's going to have a huge impact. Um, lastly, is there, you know, website? I, I'll, I'll put in the show notes also, but website, anything you want to have people you want to shout out so people can go directly to? Yeah, I have my own personal website. It's RileyCote.com and probably need to do a better job of keeping up with it. But just, you know, some, some recent articles uh, just kind of showing some of the work I've been doing. Um, uh, I'm on Instagram at Riley Cote 32. 
believe the same handle on Twitter, LinkedIn, same thing. Um, yeah, uh, I think for, you know, for Instagram is, you know, social media, unfortunately, is probably the best way to just kind of see what I'm doing. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can reach out to me there. People are interested in some of the stuff I'm doing. Um, but it, you know, I say it's progressive, it's ancient, you know, it's like, I, I'm, I'm not teaching anything new. It's like, it's like old as the earth, as far as, you know, plant medicines go and old as the earth, as long as humans have been around, uh, have been around is talking about, you know, the mind and, and controlling the mind and, and, and tapping into breath. So, you know, happy to kind of be a, a steward of, you know, ancient practices, really, it's not, it's not new. We just, we just kind of abandoned, you know, the foundationals of living and the, and the, the laws of nature, really. So check, check it out and say hi. It will, uh, Riley, I, I hope everyone definitely checks you out. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, what you're doing is going to be extremely impactful. Uh, I think we need more of it. Uh, that's what I'm hoping to do with my own podcast here is to get messages like this out to people with, you know, people like you. So uh, again, Riley, thank you for doing this today. Really appreciate it. And as always, I appreciate everybody tuning in to watch and listen. So thank you all. Take care. Bye. This has been the Bear Essentials. Thanks for listening. And remember, never hibernate on your goals.